Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good Tuesday morning. Another, another beautiful day here in greater Cincinnati. And we welcome you, as always, to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. And I am uh, wearing some of United Dairy Farmers' coffee this morning. Mm. Good luck. That's good luck. Good luck. luck. You know, you get nice clothes, uh, you know, and some people are just really good about not spilling stuff. I don't fit into that category. Every piece of clothing I have has some kind of stain on it, some regard or another. We welcome you uh, to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. Great to have you with us. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 A to 12 P. You can follow us on YouTube, the Chatterbox Sports page. You can also find us in podcast form. Just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman, and you're dialed in. It was a good night for the home team at GABP last night. Good game, in fact. Back and forth game, the Cardinals... Late in the game, had the bases loaded in the ninth. They had two on in the tenth. But the relief pitching got it done when it needed to. Cardinals couldn't get the big hit. Nick Senzel delivered a sack fly in the bottom of the tenth inning. Reds win the opener of that three-game series 6-5. Now starter Brandon Williamson, who was so good in Denver, eh, last night, four-plus innings, allowed three earned runs. Five relievers were outstanding. His Reds bullpen has been really good. Allowed just one run. Covering six innings. Jonathan India, Matt McLean, each with two hits. Spencer Steer at a two-run home run. For St. Louis, just their third loss in the last 14 games after starting the year 10-24. and 24. Game two tonight, Graham Ashcraft against Adam Wainwright. And the veteran Cardinal right-hander is just four wins away from 200 in his career. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. Gives you an idea of the way the game has changed. Wainwright's in his 40s. And he's just closing in on 200, and he's been really good. The days of the 300-win guys, Maddox, Johnson, all those guys, long gone. Long gone. Joey Votto continues to take live BP. No timetable on when he might head out on yet another rehab assignment. Not such good news, and it's sad to say for Connor Overton. He had a setback in his rehab he will undergo exploratory surgery. I'm sure that's Dr. Timothy Krenchek, uh later on today. Was last night the end for LeBron James? The King had one of his most prolific playoff games, 40 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists. But it wasn't enough. As the Lakers lose to Denver 111 or 113 to 111, the Nuggets win the Western Conference Finals in a four-game sweep. Beat L.A. for the first time in eight playoff series all time. But then James said after the game, he's really got a lot of thinking to do on whether or not he will continue to play the game of basketball. Maybe it was just raw emotion after a tough loss in a tough series. Nikola Jokic, I mean, does he go by Nikola or Nikola? I always keep messing that up. It's Nikola. Nikola. Yeah. Well, don't mess it up because this guy is etching his name as one of the all-time greats. He set an NBA playoff record with his eighth triple-double of this postseason. 30 points, 14 rebounds, 14 assists. I read an article about him today. After every game, 
And I've told this story about Joey Votto years ago in Miami. After every single game, right when the game's over, Jokic is in the weight room. <laughs> and he looks like it. That is a hoss now. That's a big, strong man. Uh, the Miami Heat have a chance to do tonight what Denver did last night, and that's finish off a four-game sweep. Jimmy Butler and company host the Celtics tonight. Tip-off at 8.30. Lots of news in the NFL. Austin Eckler is staying with the Chargers after all. He had requested a trade, you may remember, after the team failed to negotiate a long-term deal and said he will play the final year of his rookie contract, but they're going to load it up with incentives. The Charger running back led the NFL 22 touchdowns, total touchdowns, rushing and receiving last year, helping the Chargers to the playoffs for the first time in four years. NFL owners, very interesting decision last night, decided to allow late-season Thursday night games to be flexed out, which has never happened before. What that means is weeks 13 to 17, the league can come in, right, and they can take a game that was scheduled for a Thursday night because all the Thursday night games are set when the season comes out. Then they can dump it back off to a Sunday. Or the flip side of that is a team that just played on a Sunday, right, who may have played already on a Thursday night, their game can be moved to Thursday night. Giants owner John Mara, completely against this idea, said it is abusive to fans whose schedules would be disrupted. And lastly, the NFL announced that the 2025 NFL Draft will take place in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Now think about this for a second. The total population of Green Bay, Wisconsin is right around 107,000 people. That's the population of Green Bay, right? They almost have as many people for a football game at Lambeau as the population of the entire town. So 107,000 people. This year alone in Kansas City for the NFL draft, over 312,000 fans attended that event. Green Bay, that's a big league spot for the draft. Oh, yeah. A little worried about the weather, though. April ain't so great in Wisconsin, boys. It's still a little cold. Just One of the coldest nights of my life was an April night in Wisconsin, and they had a closed stadium. They're at Miller Park. Well, I don't know what it's called now. They changed the name of that dump. It's American Heritage Family Insurance Life. So I don't know. Okay. <laughs> something like yeah, that. Yeah, something. But anyway, I mean, I remember Chris Welsh and I walking out after the game. Uh, and it's blowing sideways. Snow, sleet, rain, whole deal. And that was the year they opened the new ballpark in Minneapolis. And Chris and I remember the conversation. We're walking out there going, can you imagine what some of these April nights are going to be like in Minneapolis? No dome. Oh, my God. Reds played there about a month and a half later in May. It was sunny for three days. I don't think the high got to 34. Man, those are some tough dudes playing there. Uh, Matt Bailey says, when did the NFL ever care about fans? John Mara cares about fans. I can tell you that right now. 
I know he's a big money. His family's owned the thing for a long, long time. I know the guy. The guy is a big-time operator and cares about the fans. I can promise you that. Um, okay. Today, coming up here in a matter of minutes, in about five minutes, we're going to have longtime Major League Baseball umpire Ted Barrett. Told you yesterday, he retired at the end of last season. Some of the things we're going to talk to him about, I can't wait. We're going to get into, yeah, and ask him some stories about managers or players or things that were said uh, in all the years that he was an umpire. But when you look at some of the things that he was on the field for, he's been on the field for more perfect games than any umpire in the history of the game. More no-hitters than any umpire in the history of the game. He was the home plate umpire in the longest postseason game in Major League history. Over seven hours and 15 minutes behind home plate. Oh, man. Yeah. And he was on hand, home plate umpire, for the last game ever played in Montreal. I mean, this guy, you know, dozens of division series, dozens of LCS uh, 10, 11, 12 World Series he's worked, and a great guy. Uh, he gave it all up to become a minister. So looking forward to having him on here today. Steve Ross says, I hope the city of Cincinnati gets an NFL draft one day. It'd be a great place for it. There's they've no talked, doubt about it. They've talked about it. I know it's they something, have. It's something that's very much in the city plans and something that they want to have happen. Where would they do it legitimately? Where would they do it? Well, if they had an arena... If they had an arena, Casey, now you're speaking my well, language. Well, they didn't do the they didn't do any of the uh, uh, the chief stuff inside. I mean, they created space where you could have a yeah. covering. Yeah, you're they not do it right around the stadium is where they would do it. Right down there, the whole thing would be right there at the banks. I so bet money on three hundred thousand people. Well, I don't know if we'd have three hundred thousand. I think we probably would. Maybe they do well, it out of Union Terminal or something. That That'd would be a be, big league. Setup. That would be great. With that as a backdrop, yeah, right. That's a good question. Maybe we ought to throw some ideas around about that. Where would you have it here in Cincinnati if we had an NFL draft? You got to remember, you got baseball going on at that time, right? They would make sure the Reds are out of town for that. But that'd be great to have it. But at Lambeau, they've got the. Stadium, and right behind it, they have the Packer Hall of Fame. Uh, that will be really, really Ever, nice. Everett, Everett and Alex Wallace point out, we could just do it right here at River's Edge. Right down the road. <laughs> I think there's a good chance of that. Sure, why not? 300,000 people to Hamilton, uh, Hamilton, Ohio's economy. Bring them all Lynn in. Shakalaka says, demolish Bell Bellevue and just put it there. I love Bellevue. That's a nice place. Isn't that where Tracy lives? Yeah. <laughs> Bellevue's a happening town down there. They got a lot going on. The HOA would have something to say about that. Well, there's no doubt. We never found out how he did in the election process of the HOA. Yeah, some say Union Terminal. Some say the banks. Yeah, I hope we get it one day. Um, okay, so we've got in a matter of minutes coming up. Good win for the Red Legs last night, right? Good win. Good win. Yeah, St. Louis playing great baseball, coming into town. First time you've played your division rivals all year long. So a nice win for the Red Legs. I don't know how long it's going to last. We talk about it a lot. But the bullpen, now I, I know over the weekend they weren't great against uh, the Yankees. But, you know, they, they, 
we talked about what a stud Diaz is. Jabot, I mean, he got into a little trouble, and then he gets out of trouble. They've got some guys that are doing a nice job. Uh, Hunter Green, two days ago, goes seven. Then you get Williamson, four and a third. Ashcraft has really been slumping. It's been an ugly May. He'll get the ball here tonight. They need these starters to start piling up some innings for him because we do know the bullpen, it's not going to last. How effective they have been if, if these starters um, keep making them pitch four, five, sometimes even six innings in a game. Yeah, Steve Ross says Ashcraft better give him six or seven tonight. Brian says we're never going to get the draft. You buy that? I think we get it. I think we get it. At some point, I think we get it. I think there's too much talk and too much potential investment in the city that the city is trying to do right now with changes that are happening downtown and the, the convention center and the new parks that are talking about being built and the hotels and everything else that the city is trying to invest in to really reinvigorate Cincinnati. I think eventually they get, I don't know if it's in the next six to seven years, but I really do think that Cincinnati is going to make enough wholesale changes to the city that they'll do enough to get it. There's been a lot written this week about downtown Cincinnati on Cincinnati.com. I know you have to be a subscriber or go buy the paper um, to check that out. But, uh, you know, if you live in the town and and you're going to support downtown, whether it's going down there to the restaurants, there's not much retail. That that's addressed in the in number of, of stories that have been written the last few days. Uh, but if you're going to support the restaurants, the bars, uh, all that kind of thing, a lot of interesting decisions and big decisions coming up, including, you know, Paul Doherty's been writing a lot about this, so we'll have him on later in the week. But 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 he's really looking a long way out here on this stadium deal. Because of what has happened here recently with Buffalo and Tennessee. Similar stadium deals to the Reds. Stadiums are old, need to be redone, if not entirely rebuilt. Uh, and the confluence of entities that um, financially are involved, whether it's the ownership of the team, right? whether it's the NFL who stepped in and gave a lot of money to both of these cities to help it out, whether it's obviously us, the taxpayers, and how much we or you are, you know, have the appetite to support this whole thing. I mean, the Bengals have all the momentum right now, right? And it's inconceivable, and nobody wants to talk about it or think about it because you want to – you want to think about and talk about the product that's going to be on the field because it's so exciting, more exciting than at any time in the history of the franchise in the 50-plus years they've been here. But the rubber meets the road when it comes to money. The rubber meets the road. And all of this is already going on. I mean, I've talked to a couple of people involved in this whole thing. There are groups out there that want to come in and try and help the process along that are professionals at this kind of thing. Um, My understanding is the county wants to be the one that is the lead on this thing. 
Now, I have to ask you. Okay? I have to ask you. And I'm not suggesting they can't get it done because they got it done with the Bengals on the last stadium. They got it done with the Reds on their stadium. You like your chances with the government running that thing? Now, they're going to have a big say in it if there's taxpayer money. But you want them being the point person in terms of creativity, in terms of ideas, in terms of how we're going to put this thing together, in terms of what are we going to do? I don't know. I'm not so sure. Um, Ted asked if we sent the link. We did. I can resend it again if you'd like. Um, the one thing I wanted to, I know we're on the stadium talk, Tom, but I don't want to pass this because, um, this specific thing I want to talk about the Reds game yesterday. Yeah. And that was how well Tyler Stevenson did. He had three walks and one hit, I believe. That, and that's for a lot of guys, they'll tell you they're seeing the ball better if they're, if they're taking pitches and drawing walks and that can kind of, you know, ignite a hitting streak. Yeah. He was one for two, drove in a run, three walks. Yeah. And if you're looking at the top of our, our charts, like the, the hitting chart, the batting chart, I mean, I'm just going to list it out. India McLean, Steer, Stevenson, Sinzel, those five right there. Did really well last night. And that's all we really need. I mean, that's you want your whole lineup to be hitting well. But if you get your first five going, yep. I mean, that's how you get some some really good innings, at least to start. So tough that six through nine went over, but when one through five, three of the five had multiple hits. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'll take that all that day. Checks. Either multiple hits or multiple times on base. Yeah. Right. Either one. Does he need me to send the... Uh, what do he say here? He says, uh, we'll try, okay, he asked if we can try it again. All right, I'll send it to we him again. We will send it again. He's standing by waiting, so I know we're going to have him on here in a minute. Uh, he used to live out in Arizona. I'm not sure where he's living now. i got to double-check on that. Uh, and we'll ask him when he joins us. Um, yeah, I mean, look... With Stevenson basically doing nothing on offense, um, and Will Myers has been less than nothing on offense, it's amazing the Reds are really where they are in, as far as wins and losses. Now, I know they're well under 500. I get all that. But all of us thought that's exactly what was going to happen when the season began, right? They have played better and been more competitive than a lot of us, me included, first to admit when I'm wrong. And I'm wrong a lot. They've been a lot more uh, competitive than I thought they would be. But I'm not jumping on the bandwagon to think this is going to last. Because as I was talking about a little while ago, their offense might get better. There are some guys I'm not so sure are going to be any. I don't think any is going to be better than he is right now. He's been good, really good. Um, but... Yeah, and, and, and Stevenson and Myers can't be worse. So they're going to get better. But you score more, and all of a sudden, 
Yeah, with these starters going four and four plus and all that kind of thing. Um, Brian B., he knows I'm a Craig Council guy. Is he coming on the show? We'll get him on. We will definitely get him on. Yeah. He's the best. Heard a story one time about that dude. One of his coaches on his big league staff is a guy named Pat Murphy. Some may not know that name, Pat Murphy. Pat Murphy was the head coach at Notre Dame Baseball. That's where Council played collegiately. Murphy was his head coach. Murphy left Notre Dame to go to Arizona State. Uh, let's try this one, okay? Try this email. Um, Murphy leaves Notre Dame to go to Arizona State. And, you know, it's a powerhouse program, but... You know, it's one of those programs where a lot of people out there are living in the past. They're living in the days, you know, when they had Reggie Jackson and all these kinds of guys, and they were going to the College World Series every year, right? Sometimes winning it under Jim Brock, the prior coach before Murphy, who was there forever. But when Murphy was at Notre Dame, and now Murphy is on Craig Council's staff with the Brewers. Murphy tells a story. The council comes out, this kid from Milwaukee, scrapper, tough-nosed guy. It's about 30 degrees outside. Murphy's hitting him ground balls, right? Ball bounces up and hits council right in the face. Have you ever seen council's nose? It's a big nose, and it's a crooked nose, right? This ball smashes him so badly in the face, it breaks his nose in like three different places, and... He is bleeding everywhere. I mean, nose is completely shattered, smoked right in the face. Council goes to the hospital, has it stitched up, fixed up, reset, whole nine yards. Arms out, needles in, back on the field. Two hours later, taking ground balls. It's a real man. It's a real man. That's an NCN man. President of NCN. President? I thought that was Jimmy Butler. No, he's in the, he's in the starting lineup. He's a captain. Oh, okay. So, you know, and, and Council went on, of course. He was a, a huge part of uh, two World Series winning teams. With the Marlins, scored the winning run in the bottom of the ninth inning, game seven of the World Series. And then with the Diamondbacks, he got hit by a pitch from Mariano Rivera, which moved the runners along in the bottom of the ninth inning, Game 7 of the World Series, which led to Jay Bell eventually scoring the winning run on a hit by Luis Gonzalez. A lot of fans saying extend David Bell here. <laughs> What's so funny? I might need to take that with a grain of salt. Oh, really? Is that right? It's kind of become a running joke in the Chatterbox Reds uh, post-game live chat. A lot of opinions on David Bell. I went back and read a lot about some of the moves over the weekend, which we'll get into a little bit later on. I did not have a problem. Let me just say this, and I said it yesterday. I had no problem whatsoever with first base open and Rizzo on deck, left-handed batter, and you were going to have to keep the right-hander in the game. I had no problems at all pitching to judge there. It was the two or three other times before that. Uh, where I think a lot of people have a major issue. All right, well, as promised, we thank him so much for uh, his patience and getting everything through. We've been talking about him. Ted Barrett.
technically Edward George Barrett. Boy, you look good, man. Well, when all of a sudden did you get this thing going? Well, you know, I would grow a beard every winter and then shave it before spring training started. And so this spring, I said, let me grow it out, see what happens. But I don't think my wife is going to put up with it much longer. So <laughs> I'm enjoying it while I can. Ted, are you still out in Arizona? Yes, I'm out in, out in Gilbert, as you know, just outside of Phoenix. Starting you know, to get you. Up here. Well, I mean, it's it's such a great place, and you've been there for a long, long time. And uh, your first year of retirement, I mean, you have been a major league umpire. Well, you, you started originally, and we'll get to this in a second, but you were in the Pacific Coast League, and then your major league debut comes in 94. You retire at the end of last year. What, what has retirement been like for you? I, I know you have a lot of other things. Uh, that you have going on, and we'll talk more about those. But but just being away from the game day in and day out, what's it been like for you? Yeah, it's been it's been a little surreal. You know, really in COVID, it was kind of a dress rehearsal for retirement. As you know, April and May came up, and we weren't we weren't out on the ball field. So um, you know, and then when the season ended, when the playoffs ended, it was business as usual. November, December, January. Uh, once spring training hit, then it was kind of, okay, uh, you know, after all these years, you, you felt like you needed to get ready for spring training. And uh, then once the season started, I've been loving it, not having to get on a plane every three days and not crisscrossing the country. It's been uh, it's been fun. But I will say this. I feel like I'm busier than ever. I think uh, I need to go back on the road and uh, to rest <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. There's no doubt. You know, you, you growing up, there was a lot of moving around. I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong here. You were born in the state of Washington, but you lived part of your life in New York. You lived another part of your life out in Mountain View, California. You went to high school and college out in California. So maybe that was just setting the tone of you uh, in your future endeavors and all the traveling you were going to do. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, I remember coming down to spring training in Arizona and I said, I really don't like this place. It's hot. It's the desert. It's not for me. And I ended up moving here in 1991, and I've been here ever since. When you first started, uh, you, you, you played, you know, you played uh, a lot of sports in high school. You played basketball, uh, captain of the football team, all this kind of thing. Um, you, 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 for a short while, an amateur boxer, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. And, and I, I assume you decided I got to get out of that in a hurry, right? Well, yeah, you know, I, I decided I was going to turn pro. You know, I was going to be heavyweight champion of the world and uh, actually moved to Las Vegas. I was there. I was sparring with some pros. Um, and that's really kind of where the umpire thing. I had, I had dabbled in umpiring. I had done some high school. I had some, done some little league. And I met some guys that were minor league umpires. And my father actually offered to pay for me to go to umpire school. And I thought five weeks in Florida. Uh, it's better than getting beat up down here in Vegas. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll go do it. And, uh, you know, from there, I just I got hired and I went to the minor leagues. And uh, I still boxed a little bit even while I was coming through the minor leagues just to try to stay in shape. And, and I loved it. But uh, I tell you, it, it was uh, umpiring was a lot better than boxing. And, uh, yeah. You know, that, that, that Joe Brinkman um, umpiring school that you went to, I think you went back in the late 1980s, that thing was a big deal, man. I mean, I remember th those were the years I was working with Harry Carey in Chicago, and he would talk about it inevitably, it seemed like every single series, about what a big deal that school was. Talk about that a little bit, and is there anything still out there like that now? 
Yeah, well, you know, the, Joe Brinkman had a, a school there in uh, Cocoa Beach, in Cocoa, and uh, Harry Wendelstead had his over in Daytona. And, uh, you know, so those were the kind of the two competitors. They were really the – you had to go to one of those two schools to get into minor league baseball. And now it's a little bit different. Um, Harry Wendelstead has passed, and Hunter handles that school. Uh, his son, Major League umpire Hunter Wendelstead. And then um, baseball also runs an academy in uh, Vero at the old Dodger town. Yep. So you can go to one of those two and, and get yourself into baseball. As a matter of fact, we were just out in Cincinnati last month at the Youth Academy. What a what a great place. Uh, MLB uh, umpire camp, and we're going to be out in Chicago at the end of this month. So people can come, prospective umpires. They can come to camp. They can uh, also maybe win a scholarship to the Umpire Academy down in Vero, run by Major League Baseball. So, yeah, if someone's interested in, in uh, getting into umpiring, they can go to MLB.com and Check out the umpire camps. You know, Ted, I, I, I still have a son who's playing high school athletics. And uh, here in Ohio, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about football, whether you're talking about baseball, basketball, lacrosse is a big growing sport, the whole nine yards, soccer, whatever it might be. They are begging for officials in this state. Uh, in, in fact, you know, I, I, I've given serious thought to, to going through the, the, the schooling on it to go do football or basketball because they need officials that badly. Are you seeing that in baseball across the country like we are here in Ohio? Yeah, absolutely. And it's really, it's really sad because I know uh, I've got some friends in other states. They're kids like yours playing high school ball. And they're getting games canceled uh, because there's not any umpires. They're getting games, you know, the JVs having to play on, uh, you know, a different day. I know in football, they're playing – Freshman football on Wednesdays, JV on Thursday, and varsity on, on Friday, just so they can get the officials to work the games. And that's terrible. Um, but, you know, it's people get abused verbally. Yep. Uh, you know, it's, so, you know, it, why would someone want to do it? You know, right? It's not worth the pay. It's not worth the headache. Uh, I know several umpires uh, here in the Phoenix area that have been umpiring. You, you, you remember what it's like in Phoenix. You know, you're playing baseball year-round uh, with the travel ball and the weather's yep. so great in the winter. Um, and there's just not enough umpires to cover it. And a lot of guys that have been doing it for a long time are hanging up their gear saying, I, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I want to deal with the hassle. And it's terrible. And so, you know, we're really trying to – I try to get out and recruit high school baseball players and um, junior college baseball players to get out and umpire. You know, it's a great job. It's a great way to supplement your income. Uh, I think it makes you a better player. You know, if you get back there behind the plate and call balls and strikes, it gives you the perspective of what the umpire thinks. And, um, you know, and then it's also something that if someone wanted to do it for a career or even as a, you know, a second job, you can do that um, as long as, uh, you know, well into your advanced ages. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and, and I mean, I, I guess that would lend itself to the question, it, it, knowing the situ excuse me, the situation that we're in right now, I, look, I'm never going to say it's easy because there are – thousands of guys, tens of thousands of guys out there that want to be a major league umpire one day. Uh, despite a shortage, there are still tens of thousands that do. But because of the shortage, would you say compared to when you were coming up that the, the, the chances at least are percentage-wise better to have that as a career than they've ever been? Yeah, I think you have less people going to umpire school now. Um, so, yeah, at the professional level um, – the odds are probably about the same uh, because you you, all, you don't have that many openings. Uh, you know, last year, 10 of us retired. It was kind of a uh, 
uh, an unusual year. Usually there's only one or two. But at the amateur level, you, you can progress up high into college baseball and, um, you know, the, the good high school baseball. And so, uh, yeah, I think people should take advantage of the fact that there's a shortage and really um, really give it a try. And also, like, like you said, you could do football, you could do baseball, uh, you could do basketball. And a lot of minor league umpires supplement their income by doing high school basketball and wrestling. Um, yeah, for, you know, you get out there, get, do some training and get out and start doing it. Um, you know, umpiring, I know, is one of those things that you either love it or you hate it. So I would encourage everybody, give it a try. If you don't like it, maybe try to find another sport. If you do, there's plenty of, uh, there's, there's plenty of work for you. All right, let, let me uh, hit on a couple of things. Uh, I, strangely enough, the year you decide to retire is when all of a sudden Major League Baseball implements all these brand new rules. Uh, you still watch the game. You follow the game. You have a lot of friends who you worked with uh, uh, through all the many, many, many years, 30-plus uh, years as a uh, Major League Baseball umpire. What do you think of the rules, and, and what do your peers think about them? So as a fan, I think it's great because, uh, you know, the speed up rules, the game's going two and a half hours, uh, two hours and 40 minutes. Um, so the umpires that I talk to now, though, uh, they love it. They love being on the field less. It's going to be better on their bodies. Over a long grind of the season, it's going to be better. But like, uh, you know, Bill Miller said to me the other day, I saw him working the Diamondbacks game, and he said, you know, my, my game's only two and a half hours, but I still have the same workload. I'm calling the same number of pitches. I'm just kind of compressing it. And so they're telling me that it's more like a sprint now um, than a marathon. And so at the end of the game, they are, they're, they're happy that they're out of there at a decent hour, but they, they're worn out, especially working the plate. And these new rules just piled so much more responsibility on the umpires. Uh, you know, the disengagements, um, you know, the... You've got to now keep one eye on the clock. Uh, all the different nuances that happen. We saw the other day with a catcher trying to call timeout to go to the mound, and can he call time? Was the hitter alert to the batter? Um, it, it's just, you know, I think about when I came up, we put the gear on and went out and called balls and strikes, and and now it's just all the rules that have evolved. Mound visits, um, you know, the three-pitcher minimum rule, all this stuff, which I like the rules. Uh, but the amount of workload it puts on the umpire is it's, it's really increased from, you know, 30 years ago. What would you say, Ted Barrett, to the fan out there who says, you know what, we should go to uh, electronic uh, calling of balls and strikes? What would you say to that? I would say, you know, you got to be careful what you wish for, uh, because you know, this is something that we've really looked at. We've looked at hard through our, through the umpires union. And, and look, a lot of people think we're against it because we, you know, we don't want it because we want to call balls and strikes. But the reality is we want what's good for the game. And, you know, if this is good for the game and it's better for the game, then, hey, let's do it. But if it's not, let's be careful what we're running into because, you know, it's hard to roll it back. It's like with replay, um, which – I'm all for replay on the basis. I think this that was a great thing. Uh, you know, we just lost Don Denkinger last week. Uh, you know, uh, just had the service for him. Um, one of the great umpires in Major League Baseball. And what is he known for? The, the misplay in the 1985 World Series. Um, Jim Joyce, one of the great umpires that I got the pleasure to work with. Um, and what is he known for? The, the 27th out of the uh, Galarraga perfect game. And so replay would have fixed those 
uh, but it also created some situations that we didn't anticipate, right? The guy sliding into second base and, you know, his, his hand comes off uh, by an inch and the fielder leaves a tag on him. Uh, those, I don't think those were things that, uh, that we wanted to happen. So with the electronic strike zone, to answer your question, it could solve some problems, you know, with being 100% consistent, um, you know, no human error, no umpire missing a pitch. But the technology also is not perfect. Uh, we see a lot of missed pitches, pitches that don't track. Some days the system doesn't work. So if we're going to go into this, it's got to be 100% ready to go. And I just don't believe it's there yet. So I want to tell the fans, um, they keep screaming for it, but it's not ready yet. And when it is ready, then we can have that discussion if it's best for baseball or not. Um, it's kind of a long answer to your question. but No, uh, it's not. I but, I mean, you, you bring up a great point because you hear people scream and moan about it all the time. They talk about comparing. They draw the analogy to tennis where the ball, you know, did it hit the line? Was it off the line? You know where I'm going with all this. But, I mean, this is a whole different animal. Um, and, and, and I don't know. I'm with you. I I, I, I I've never trusted technology much to be able to hang with it. I mean, you get heat, you get weather conditions. Tennis, you rarely have that kind of thing, where it's, it's really dramatic weather conditions. You'll get some hot days wherever, but th there's a lot going on there, and, and, and I've heard that it's not ready either. I want to get into some, um, some, some moments in your career, because, you know, I used to say it all the time as a broadcaster, and I'm going to start with the Cubs, okay? I'm broadcasting for Fox the 2003 National League Championship Series, right? And, um, you know, you've got, you've got the, you know, the Cubs who have a chance to go to the World Series for the first time since 1945. They're ahead three games to two. They're at Wrigley Field. The crowd is – I've never seen anything like it in my life uh, for game six and then game seven. It was just beyond description. You were um, the crew. Uh, help me here. You were, if I'm not mistaken, behind home plate in game six when the Cubs won the first time World Series going way, way back, 1918 or something like that. When you're on the field, I, I know you're, you're staying impartial and you're, but, but, what do you remember about that? And was there something going through your mind where you're thinking, man, oh, man, I don't know how this is going to turn out. But but if, if the Cubs win this thing, I'm here to see this. Yeah, you know, during the game, you, as you said, um, we're not really thinking about that. You know, you're locked in. Uh, you're trying to get pitches right. Uh, I remember the kid for the Cubs threw a, threw a great game. He really had good stuff that night. And um, – it's when the game is over in the Cubs clinch and they're going to the world series. And I remember going into the locker room after, and the crowd was just going crazy. And I remember thinking, uh, you know, we might as well take our time because we're not going to get out of here anytime soon. But we went out on, uh, usually, uh, when the game's over, we'll dress and eat and get out of there. But let's, let's go up on the field and kind of see what's going on. And looking at people, uh, just like they're, they're embracing their Cubs fans are, are you know hugging each other, hugging each other, and um, our clubhouse uh, clubhouse guy um, Tom, yeah, uh, was a retired yeah he's a retired uh, fireman, and uh, he said, hey, can I bring my boys down? You know, as, being the crew chief, he was asked for permission. I said, yeah, bring bring them down. That's that's fine. So they come down, and so I'm standing on the field, and um, you know Tom and his boys are standing there, and they're they're crying. And they're hugging each other. And um, 
the one of his sons said, I wish grandpa was here to see this. And it, it, it was really cool to see. You think about the generations of Chicagoans yeah. that connect over the Cubs and just all of their, um, you know, the, the, the lean years of being Cubs fans. And now here it goes. Here it comes. They're going to the World Series. And uh, it was a really cool thing for me to see because you forget, as you know, when you go to the ballpark every day and it becomes a grind and then days turn into games turn into seasons, seasons turn into decades. And, um, you know, it, it's a job. It's punching the clock. And I forget what uh, this was a reminder of what baseball means to people, what following a team means to people, what uh, and the family connections. So that was a cool thing for me to see. And that's something I'll always remember. And I've always as I got toward the end of my career, I remember to look around the stands and kind of soak that in and um, just see the beauty of that. You know, you were also around for the complete 180 of something like that, right? You worked the final game uh, as a second base umpire, I, I believe, back in September of 2004 for the last ever game in Montreal. You know, the, the, the for the people that were in the game, those uh, umpires, players, coaches, managers, broadcasters, staff, whatever it might be, Montreal was one of the great stops in, in all of baseball. But look, the stadium was old. It was tired. People weren't going to the games. They weren't spending any money on the franchise. What was that like to be there for the last game ever in Montreal? Yeah, you're right. Going to Montreal, you always love to see it on the schedule. The city was great. Um, you know, the restaurants and, and just a great city to walk around. The old buildings. Uh, yeah, I, I loved it. Um, but yeah, the, the ballpark was subpar um there weren't a lot of people there there wasn't a lot of energy in the building uh but i remember that last game and there was actually some fans there and they were really angry <laughs> and i remember frank robinson was the manager of the expos and what's funny is earlier that day i went golfing with uh alfonso marquez alfonso's a crew chief now in the major leagues and dave jackson who's an nhl official was an nhl official at the time he's retired now he took his golfing out of his club. And uh, I'm not a very good golfer, so I lost about, I don't know, a couple dozen of his <laughs> golf balls. And so we go out to the game that night, and the crowd's really angry. And at one point, um, in protest, they start firing golf balls on the field. Um, and just, you know, uh, Frank actually pulled, pulled his team off. He said, I'm not going to leave my guys out there with people throwing golf balls. And I'm running around the stadium, grabbing them and putting them in my pocket. <laughs> um, you know, on the turf there as they're rolling. And then we got together. Bob Dupay was there. Um, the commissioner wasn't there, but Bob Dupay was. And, you know, we actually talked about forfeiting the game because, uh, you know, the fans are, you know, just so unruly. And uh, which is strange because usually the fans, you know, they, they didn't get too excited over uh, baseball because, you know, hockey being their sport. But at, at this point, um, we got the field cleared and the fans settled down and we got we went out and finished the game uh, but there was some some tension there and i thought how terrible would this be as a legacy for uh, the expos if the last game had to be forfeited um and we had to pull them off the field which is something you never want to do as an umpire but so the game was over and and after we get together with uh, dave was there and he came down to our locker room and uh, i handed him a, a about 30 golf balls i said here i'm paying you back with interest so, <laughs> what's the most unruly situation you ever been scared in a situation 
as a major league umpire? I mean, you talked about how they were unruly that night. Was there another time where you said, oh, man, or maybe a minor league game where you're like, this is not good? Well, there's been, uh, yeah, in the big leagues, we have pretty good security. I know um, people uh, get a little bit unruly, but usually there, there's a barrier between them and us. Um, there's been some times in the minor leagues, you know, working in the Cal League and Visalia and Bakersfield, parks like that, where if, uh, if the crowd's upset with you, it, it can be a tough walk to the car. Um, there's been some one night in San Jose, uh, you know, I had to kind of battle battle my way to the car with the crew. Um but uh, luckily, they, they, uh, I was usually bigger than most of them. So, uh, yeah, we, we, were able to, we were able to make it. <laughs> um, but I can remember um, a couple situations. You know, it was scary in St. Louis in the 2011 World Series. Uh, 2011, yeah, 2011 when they beat the Rangers in seven games. Um, apparently... People, not just people at the game, but fans flooded that stadium downtown, and they ended up finding their way in. There was just this crush of people. I mean, there was thousands and thousands of people coming out to uh, to celebrate, and so that that got to be dangerous because we were just literally pressed in with bodies, you know. And we got our wives there and our kids there, so we kind of just we went out to the field and hung out on the pitcher's mound, and security kept people away from that. So. Yeah, it wasn't like they were angry. They were, in this case, they were celebrating. Um, but just the crush of the, the people, that, that got a little bit scary. Even walking downtown to the hotel, it was just a, a sea of people and, um, you know, trying to keep our group together and keep everybody safe. That was a little bit scary. Um, you uh, are the only umpire in the history of Major League Baseball, the only guy to be behind the plate for two perfect games. Now, again, people who work the sport, and I'm not trying to exclude any of our viewers on this thing, but, you know, when, when you watch baseball every single day, you know, I don't know if Matt Cain, uh, that was the second one you had. I mean, there was a time he was a really good pitcher. He wasn't this dominant guy like a Randy Johnson or somebody like that, right? You know, Johnson was one of those guys, and you've seen him. You, you know other guys. Where every time they took the mound, it would not be beyond a chance where they could throw a no-hitter. I don't know about a perfect game, but they had the kind of stuff. But, you know, when, when you're watching a game – and all of a sudden you'll get to the fourth and you'll get to the fifth. And then all of a sudden there's this great defensive play made in the sixth or the seventh. And that perfect game or no hitter is still going. Do you sense that a little bit when you're behind the plate on a game going through a game like that? Yeah, it's funny because the the teams, the ball players, you can sense something's going on just by their behavior. And, you know, they're leaving the pitcher alone in the dugout and nobody's talking. <laughs> there's no small talk. And there's, you know, they're they now are feeling the weight of the moment defensively, and um, you know, the, there's an intensity. Um, so even if you don't know what's going on, you look up at the scoreboard and say, "Oh, okay." I tell people with David Cohn's game, um, it was interesting because there was a rain delay after the third inning, and we walked off the field. And I said, "Jim Evans was the crew chief." I said, "Jim, we got to get back out there. He's got a perfect game going." And I was joking. Um, then as the game resumed and started going along against the Expos, actually, as we were talking about them earlier. And um, I remember looking up at the scoreboard in about the seventh inning saying, okay, there's something going on. I really didn't realize that he had a perfect game going. 
I saw that there was no hits on the scoreboard, and then I saw he was facing the minimum as they list the, the lineups in Yankee Stadium. But I'm trying to remember, was there a walk? Um, was there a double play? Did somebody get picked off? And when I walked off the field, uh, the late Chuck Merriweather put his arm around me. I said, Chuck, was that a no-hitter or a perfect game? He said it was a perfect game. Um, and then now we'll fast forward to 2012 with Matt Cain. In about the fourth inning, um, I looked up and I, oh, he's got a perfect game going. And so from then on, I knew it. And so the pressure's on there as an umpire because, you know, you don't want to call uh, a ball a strike because people say, well, the umpire gave this to him. I mean, you certainly don't want to call a strike a ball and, and then have a base hit or a walk and, and then you miss a play that costs the perfect game. So there's a lot of pressure on you. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure on everybody. And, you know, the, the, I remember some of the great plays that were made in, in the, uh, in the Kane perfect game. I mean, the Gregor Blanco caught a ball that, uh, you know, he had no business catching. Um, uh, Snyder, the Astros catcher hit an absolute bomb, uh, that, you know, I think it was, a uh, divine intervention that knocked that ball down and uh, was caught by the center field. Cause I thought it was going to hit that glove out in San Francisco in left center. Um, but, you know, a touching story on that was uh, the, the following season. I forget which year it was, was the year that Matt Cain retired. I came in to uh, San Francisco and I had two young guys with me. So I said, I'm going to move up and work the plate. Uh, in this series where I wasn't gonna. So I went to first base and Buster Posey was playing first base that day. And he looked at me and said, did you plan this? I said, plan what? He said, uh, Kane's throwing tomorrow and it's his last game. He's going to retire. And so I kind of laughed. I said, are you catching? Yeah. So I get back there behind the plate and Matt and I, uh, we knew each other, you know, just from coming up together. We hadn't sat and had many conversations, but I was very, you know, I was fond of him because I respected him, the way he played the game and the way he treated his teammates and the way uh, everybody, um, you know, loved him, which was, you know, says volumes uh, about his personality. So he's back there, you know, he's, he's he was battling that year, some injuries. And so he's throwing uh, and, uh, you know, it's that's one of those moments where I was like, okay, you got to stay locked in here, call a ball a ball and a strike a strike. Let's not, let's not expand the zone for Matt Cain. It was a meaningless game. I think uh, neither team was going to the playoffs or if they were, they'd already locked it up. So, um, you know, the temptation there is let's send Matt out with a great performance, but you can't do that as an umpire. With your integrity, you have to uh, remain completely neutral. But, I, you know, so I was fighting emotions for the first time in my career because, you know, in the fifth inning, he, 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 posted zero runs and he earned it. I didn't give him any of that. Uh, and as he was walking off the mound, everybody's cheering and crying, or, you know, he's got some tears going. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I was like, man, don't, I'm fighting it back. Cause I don't want to sit there and um, have the camera show tears running down my face, yep. <laughs> getting yeah. sentimental. But yeah, I was able to stay in the moment. And then uh, afterward uh, I was at third base and he came out and shook my hand and said, and I said, congratulations on a great career. And, so, um, yeah, that was a, that was a, a memorable game. Day sure. for me. Now, the one I'm sure you're asked about on, on a semi-regular basis is, look, Bobby Cox was thrown out of more games than any manager in the history of the sport, right? 2007, mm -hmm. you're doing a game in August of that year. I think it was the Giants and the Braves. And you give Bobby the heave-ho. 
Ejection number 132, which breaks the all-time record formerly held by John McGraw. Now, when you're going into that game, everybody, all the umpires know that's the deal, right? And then all of a sudden, what happened? Was Bobby looking to get run? Did he want that record? No, it's, it's, it's funny because we went in there a couple of months earlier and somebody said, oh, he only needs two more ejections or, you know, whatever the number was. And so we said, well, he might get that. Not to, he can't get him twice tonight. But <laughs> might get him the series is over. Um, and so now I'm back two months later and I had no idea. I assumed he had already been, you know, and this people laugh. They, they say, how do you not know what's going on? But in the umpire world, again, we just we show up, do the game. We try not to read. The media stuff, we try to be aware if there's something special. You know, they'll mark baseballs, and like when guys are chasing milestones and home runs and things like that. But we, I really didn't know. And uh, so we got on the – I thought certainly he would have been ejected by now uh, plenty to, to cover the record. But I, I feel like I cheated the Braves fans because um, I ring up Tripper Jones on a pitch. He goes back to the dugout. He flung the bat on me, which, you know, I probably should have ejected him there. But – um, and now he's in the dugout, and now he's really upset because I think he went back and looked at it and saw that it was inside. And so Bobby's gonna. One of the great thing about Bobby, he was gonna jump on the grenade. He was not gonna let his player get tossed. I'll do it. So he starts yelling at me from the dugout, and and uh, I hold up, you know, give him no, don't do that, Bobby. Uh, he continues. I eject him. Well, it happened between innings, and and Bobby came out instead of yelling and screaming and throwing things, he came out and talked to me very you know, calmly, sanely. Um, so I think it looked to people like we were just having a discussion. And then he leaves, uh, and then they come back from commercial break. And as you know, from doing it so long and so well, it's like sometimes you got to figure out what happened between innings. <laughs> right, right. And go back and look at it. And, you know, the announcers are saying, we think Bobby's been ejected by Ted Barrett. Uh, and then they finally found it and figured it out. But there was no huge fanfare. There was no – kicking of dirt, there was not a whole lot of cussing and screaming and throwing of things or spitting. It was just kind of a calm discussion and see you tomorrow. But that was the great thing about Bobby Cox uh, because he would get ejected. Uh, it was never personal. Same thing with Lou Pinella. I mean, ejected Lou many times. Um, and, it, you know, it, it, there's yelling, there's screaming, there's histrionics. Uh, but the next day, it's like nothing happened. They bring the lineup card out. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Um, I remember a couple of Bobby Cox stories. I was working in Arizona. You were doing the game. Um, and Tony Randazzo threw him out. Bobby was sticking up for his pitcher. And I went down to use the restroom between innings. And Bobby was down there smoking a cigar. <laughs> and um, he said, hey, how you doing, Teddy? I said, I'm, I'm good, Bobby. Uh, he said, yeah, tell Tony, you know, I just had to stick up for my guys. You guys have a good night. And another time, uh, we were in Atlanta and working with Tim McClelland, a uh, longtime veteran umpire, um, well-respected umpire. And he, he threw Bobby out. And that night, we went to McKendrick's in Atlanta. And um, there was a bottle of wine there that the, the Mater D came over and said, hey, Bobby uh, said he wanted you to guys enjoy a bottle of wine on him. Uh, so, you know, those are the type of things that, you know, it was, especially with the older guys, it was a business. It was... Um, you know, they were taken care of, but also keeping the relationship with us. Um, and there was mutual respect. And I've got a ton of respect for both Bobby and Lou. And and so, uh, yeah, that's um, 
that's something that you know you see on TV with with it looks like they're really upset and really mad, and sometimes they are, but a lot of times they're just uh, doing what they have to do to manage their ball club. You know, Ted, I I, I I miss those those guys. I miss the personalities. You know, whether you're talking yeah. about Lasorda uh, uh, all those years, or you're talking about Lou, or you're talking about Bobby Cox. I'm not going to say all of these guys because it would be unfair of me to say that. But it seems like now we, we've almost reached a point of cookie cutter kind of guys, whether either they're afraid to show emotion, they're not allowed to show emotion, they don't want to show emotion. And so it, it's become in a lot of ways an emotionless sport, which I think hurts the sport. Did, did you, you know, as you got here to these last number of years and you saw that old guard start to change, uh, the Tony LaRusses and some of those guys. Do, do you miss those guys? Or, or were you like, man, I, you know, look, I loved them, but I had had enough of it. Well, you know, it, was, it, it has become sanitized. Um, and sometimes, you know, we knew, we knew our role and we knew it was good for the game. People like to see that, uh, the jawing and the, uh, you know, the, the back and forth. Um, and again, it wasn't personal. It was, you know, we, we were playing a role. They were playing a role. Um, yeah, sometimes they were genuinely mad, and we were genuinely mad. Don't get me wrong. But we knew it was kind of the confines of the game, and then the next day it would be forgotten and over. Sometimes a uh, manager would apologize. Sometimes we had to apologize. Hey, took it too far. Sorry about that. Um, there's not much of that anymore. Now it's, um, you know, now it's a lot of passive-aggressive stuff. Um, you know, they're mad because of a call you had, and now a few days later they're still mad. You know, we just kind of got it off our chest. It's like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in my late 50s now. Uh, my brothers and I, when we were kids, I grew up with three brothers and a big dog. So we we're fighting all the time. You know, it's fisticuffs in the morning, but, uh, you know, then you're best friends again a few hours later because you were able to get that out of your system. Sure. Right? And now I just think there's just a whole lot of things that bubble up because they don't get it out of their system. They don't snap one time and then say, hey, all right, sorry, let's move on. Uh, now it's just like it all bottles up. And, uh, and and really, so there's a whole lot of tension there that just never gets released. And um, I think that's part of the problem. Maybe we need to go back to just letting it fly once in a while. Yeah. And, um... <laughs> I, I'm with you all the way. I mean, I, I think that's probably true in a lot of walks of life uh, these days, uh, truth be told. Um, before I ask you what you're doing now, um, if there's one rule out there that perhaps fans misunderstand more than any other rule, you watch baseball day in and day out. You know, you'll hear announcers say, or you'll hear fans say, I I'm just giving an example. This might be the answer, might not be the answer, but say the check swing. And they'll say, well, he never broke his wrist. You know, you hear that all the time, right? You've heard that 50,000 times, 5 million times. What, what's the one rule out there, whether it be new or whether it be just an old rule that's just misunderstood? The most misunderstood rule. Is there one? I think one of them is uh, people think, oh, he's running out of the baseline. But, uh, you know, actually the, the runner establishes his own baseline. And it's when the when the player tries attempts to make the tag, did he deviate from the baseline that he established? You know, you don't draw a line from first to second. Uh, the other rule that's largely misunderstood is the uh, running out of the runner's lane, running to first base. If you remember back to the 2019 World Series, the uh, Washington's playing Houston, and I think it was Trey Turner was game six. Sam Holbrook calls him for running out. And it's actually, uh, 
not interfering with the throw. It's interfering with the first baseman's ability to make the play. So I heard from everybody, oh, the throw came from third base. That shouldn't have been interference. And I happened to be in town for uh, negotiations. And I saw a lot of very smart baseball people that know the game. And all of them uh, were just screaming about this call and how it should not have been made. The reality is when you drop this, you try to drop this play up at umpire school to simulate it, to get uh, students to, uh, to realize um, you know, what's interference and what's not interference. This is a textbook play to teach a young umpire at umpire school. This is interference. What I'm saying is there was no doubt to any umpire that the call was correct. And yet the whole baseball world was up in arms at this, uh, thinking that it was a, a terrible call, and it wasn't. So that showed me how misunderstood that rule is. Uh, another thing is, you know, obstruction and interference. You know, one thing I always respected about you in the booth is that you always uh, tried to, um, you know, know the rules and educate yourself so you can educate the viewers. And as umpires, we appreciate that when uh, announcers do their best to uh, to try to be accurate when they talk about rules. So it's, it's complex. The rule book's complex. There's a lot of nuances. No one can know everything. We always have to brush up and study. And uh, But that's our jobs. Um, it's amazing also how many major league uh players and managers who've been around forever misunderstand the rules a yes, lot as yes. well. I've, so. I've, said, I've said that a thousand times. It amazes me how many guys, and believe me, I didn't know all the rules. I mean, I happen to sit next to guys who really know the rules, whether it was Chris Welsh. As you know, you've done a lot, a lot of work with Chris on, on, on rules and the Rules Academy website. Bob Brenly knew the rules very, very well. Uh, so I was always leaning on those guys. But it, it, it never ceased to amaze me in baseball and in football a lot how the head coaches or the managers or the players themselves don't know the rules. And there are so many areas that I've always felt like strategically, and you tell me if I'm wrong here, where you could take advantage of those rules to help yourself perhaps steal a run or steal a play in a game. Yeah, definitely. If the, the more you know uh, about the nuances, yeah, there's there's chances you can maybe get a run um, that that uh, people wouldn't look at. There's things that you know. There's certain pickoff moves that I'm surprised that more teams don't do um, uh, because they can do them legally. And uh, yeah, I think being able to uh, really know the rule book inside out is a big advantage, especially as a manager. And like you said, a lot of managers do know the rules pretty well. Um, and, you know, the guys that have been around forever are the ones that they – because they've seen it. And yeah. if they remember it, make notes on it, uh, they're able to take advantage of it later. All right, last thing I want to ask you about is what you're doing now. You decided to retire. Uh, you end up getting a master's degree in biblical studies from Trinity College and Seminary. Uh, you get a doctorate in theology with an uh, emphasis in pastoral ministry. What, you've written a book about this. The title is An Investigation of Faith as a Life Principle in the Lives of Major League Umpires. What, what, obviously, your faith led you in that direction. It's one thing to say you want to go do it. You actually went out and did it. How did you come to that point in time? Well, you know, uh, when I got to the big leagues, as I went through the minor leagues, got to the big leagues, there's great organizations like Baseball Chapel and and uh, some other ones, Pro Athletes Outreach and UPI, but they, they're really geared toward the players and they, they do it well and they, and they should be. 
but there was nothing really for um, the umpires. And so what we found at Calling for Christ, which is a um, ministry for umpires, uh, professional umpires, major league umpires, and minor league umpires, and uh, we just kind of walked through it together. Um, life on the road, things being hard, uh, the mistakes that some of the older guys made, we tried to keep the younger guys from going down that road. Uh, and just having a faith community, really, that's the thing, connection. Uh, umpiring is a lonely job. In the minor leagues, there's in the low minor leagues, it's two man, as or two person. You and another person, you're out there um, working the plate one day, the bases the next. Hope you have a good partner that you get along with because you're going to be with them all year. Uh, we roomed together when I was in the minor leagues. They get their own rooms now, so there's some improvement. But long car rides and it can be very lonely uh, if you get double A. There's uh, you know you work three person, and then in the big leagues, obviously there's there's four of us. But still. Um, you know, it's it's a lot of uh, uh, time on the road, um, a lot of time away from family. And so um, we just try to keep a community. Technology is great like this. We do some uh, some Bible studies over Zoom. We do a prayer call uh, once a week with the big league guys and the minor league guys. And uh, spring training, we have some studies in person. Uh, just trying to keep our community connected and for those that, uh, that want to participate in that. And we've got, we do a retreat every year. We get good attendance on that. It's a chance just to come together, um, study God's word, and build friendships and support. Well, Ted, you're a good man. I, I've known you for a long, long time. I've always just thought the world of you. Uh, you were great at your job. I, I have no doubt you're great at the job you're doing now. You're even doing a little work for MLB Network as a rules analyst and all that kind of thing. So good for you. Can't thank you enough for your time today. And all the best, my friend. Godspeed ahead. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. You know, and now that I'm doing a little TV, you always made it look so easy. It's oh, yeah. not that easy. No. I'm, I need some pointers here. Well, no, you're doing just fine. I think Chris helped you. You guys doing those videos together. You're just getting you warmed up for that whole thing because those are great videos. I would go to BaseballRulesAcademy.com where you did a lot of different videos about a lot of different rules that I think even the most hardcore fan or high school or college umpire might think they know you know a situation that maybe how they would handle it and never seen it before it, it is great stuff and i loved watching those things as chris was putting them together and you guys were shooting them so thank you for your time uh, ted god bless buddy great to see you god bless you brother let's do it again sometime i look forward to it ted barrett kind enough to join us and talk everything it's been that's some fascinating stories man yes it was I mean, the, the game of baseball has just had so many great characters. And you heard him saying himself, we've talked about it on this show. Those days of the Lasordas, I got a jersey over there, you know, the, the Billy Martins, the Bobby Coxes, the you know, Lou Pinellas, and it, long gone. Long gone. Over. And it's a homogenized, milk toast group with no emotion. Every now and again, David Bell got thrown out two or three games over the weekend. He'll get his money's worth most of the time. Most of the time. But not, not like it used to be. I know I sound like an old man. Not like it used to be. All right, we got a lot to talk about with the Reds. We got Tracy Jones coming up. We'll talk a little bit about the NBA. Yeah. LeBron, is he hanging him up? Ham and Eggers, take it away. It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. 
One thing I'm going to put out there here before we get to the advertisements that I'm going to ask the chat to comment in, and I'm going to ask this a couple of times over the next couple of weeks, but if you could just take a second and comment in on the chat how you found this show originally, we'd all love to know whether it's Twitter, whether it's somebody telling you about this show, whether it's finding it on a podcast, whether it's searching something on YouTube. We have so many of you in the chat that are here every day. How did you find the show? Just so we kind of have a baseline from that. And while you type that in, you can listen to us talk about the Bengals report. Uh, I don't know if we're going to talk Bengals today. We talk, uh, everybody in the chat's talking Bengals and UC. So uh, the chat's Bengals report is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. And then also, Pawnee, right in front of us. Made in Hamilton, Ohio. It uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. This is just water. One ingredient, water. And it's a healthy alkaline water that's the best tasting water in the world. You can visit their website at pawneywater.com. That is P-A-H-H-N-I water.com. P-A-H-H-N-I water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. Drink Pawnee water, get your coffee from UDF, bet with Betfred, and get your technology solutions from Encore.tech. So I see everybody in the chat commenting in. We see some YouTubes, some Twitter, um, you know, whether it's retweets, uh, whatever it might be. Chris the Gamer found it through Dialed In, YouTube recommendations, Facebook, all over the place. <clears throat> all right. What, Casey? You're laughing. Nothing. You're laughing, Casey. <laughs> Come on. I can't say. Not allowed to say. Um, not allowed to say. Not allowed to say. But uh, now that we have the time, please like the stream if you're listening in. Um, we are at. Are we at 21 likes? Is that really all that we're doing, guys? Come on now. We can do better. We're up we to can 25 do now. We, we can, can do better than that. We can get to 40 today. I know. I, I go and watch the Red stream, the Reds chatterbox stream, every time they do it. And they are getting. 20 more likes than us. Come on, guys. I know you can do better than that. Got 82 in the chat. Let's try to get to let's try to get to 40. At least 40. That's right, Mouse Cop. If you you like the stream, you love BLP. That's how it works. <laughs> oh You're God. showing love to BLP. Hey, we uh we got a great week of weather outside today this week, don't we? That we do. Oh god, what a what a great week. Get out Tom, you going to play some golf this week? Uh, no. No, you have lacrosse this week. It's all about it, man. You have a big tomorrow night, right? Tomorrow night, regional final for the Mighty Marymount Warriors. Taking on undefeated CHCA. Rivalry, some say? I'm, I'm going to back off my comments until after the game. Okay. Because there has been a lot of animosity buildup there for me on a very personal level in this rivalry if you call it that you know what they say about a rivalry the other team every now and again has to win mm. there's been none of that as in zero 
None. So, we'll see how it goes tomorrow night. Marymont DCHCA at Marymont Kusul Stadium. What time's the game? 6P. Mm. So, excited about that. Very grateful that uh, our son gets a chance. This is the last ride. And, you know, I was, I was telling you guys earlier, I was telling Reed earlier. You know, and, and all of you have been out there, and I'm not sitting there, you know, I mean, there was a nice article about Marymont today. Luke was mentioned in there. He's a goalie for the team, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, when you get near the end here, man, where, you know, it's one thing in the regular season because, you know, you know, you're playing on a Monday night against Springboro, right? You know you're playing Thursday against Moeller or whoever it is, right? Or Indian Hill or whatever, Elder. But when you're in the tournament where every game, yeah, you can win, but, of course, you can lose. And when you have a senior and it's your last kid going through athletically or academically or whatever they're in. could be their final uh, recital. It could be their final uh, debate club thing. It could be any number of things. Some get more you know, fan attention than, than other things. But for you, it, you're totally invested because it means the world to your kid. Um, and so when they take the field in a game, like last night, and they played against a team from Bellbrook just up the road here, and, I mean, that is a building program. Coaches on their game, great athletes up there, long-time big football program. They're getting a lot of those football players to play uh, lacrosse. And um, last night, I mean, it's 4-4, end of the first half. And you're sitting there going, whoa. You know, and then all of a sudden, we play a little better than they did in the second half and win the game. But, but now, you're down to the Elite Eight in the state. And anybody at this point now, it, 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 you know, can you beat them? Yeah. Could you lose yet? And so you know that at that moment in time, it's going to be over. And you can't believe it, even the thought of it. It breaks your heart just thinking that this would be over. Because, you know, look, if you've got, you know, two kids in our case, right? A daughter who's 20 and a son who's 18. This is all you've done. For, 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 you know, in Luke's case now, our son, I mean, our daughter was the same thing, but she, the two years in college, she's not playing anything in college. I mean, they're doing this stuff since they were like five. And that's all you've done as a mom. Maybe you're a single mom or a single dad. And man, you're racing from one job to the other job and trying to get to the last three innings if it's a baseball game or the start of a lacrosse game or a Friday night basketball game. The practices, in some cases, the off-season travel teams, get in a car and drive to Maryland for four days and play lacrosse and it's 8,000 degrees in Baltimore in the summer. Turf field, 120 degrees. I mean, it, all the emotions go through your, your head to think that In an hour and a half from now, this could all be over. And then what? You know, it's like the, 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 the candidate, the old Robert Redford movie, I'm showing my age. If you've never seen this movie, it's a great movie to watch. But the closing line in the movie, the entire movie has been about this guy running a campaign, right? And, you know, this debate and that debate and all this kind of stuff. And he's this dark horse candidate who all of a sudden wins. And at the end of the movie, 
He looks around after they just find out, and Robert, Red, Robert Redford says something to the effect is, what do we do now? And that's where it gets to be as a parent. You're like, what do we do now? And man, then you start adding a layer to you know, being an empty nester. I don't mean to get overly, you know, Dr. Phil, Freudian stuff here, but, but man, this is part of real life. This isn't some bullshit pass on a third and nine from the 18-yard line. I mean, really, in the grand scheme of things, right? Because all of us share this. There are some people that care a lot more about third and nine from the 18 than other people. But every person that's out there that's a parent can relate to what I'm talking about here. And, um, man, man. I'm not going to cry, so George Santos, <laughs> nickname. Um, what is this, Dr. Phil, you know that I know that you know? Does he say that a lot? <laughs> yeah. huh? It's a classic. That's a classic. So what are you going to do? Sir Boy Wonder says, build a bar or build a hot tub. Go <laughs> out west and live off the land. Yeah, I'd be really good living off the land. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's, what's the new – I mean, because your, your hobby <laughs> – This guy, George, I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> George, he's commenting. <laughs> he's bringing it. <laughs> I tell you what, if I'm doing the chat, right? You are. You are. This, this is, your, is your chat. All right, I said I was going to be taking notes. George Santos is leaping near the top. <laughs> <laughs> Holy Moses. Holy Moses. You got to have notes. Yeah, Fred says, my dad went to every single game I played, even my two years of community college baseball games. Yep, and you know what, Fred? Your dad would not have changed that for anything in the world. I have thought frequently here over the last, uh, since I lost my job in August of 2020. Okay, so that year, right? That year, my daughter's graduating, is starting her senior year of high school. So, she graduates in 21, right? I got to go do everything that every parent would want to do around graduation, not just the graduation itself. If I was doing the Reds games, I'd have gotten off that day. But the graduation parties, the big assembly where they honor students for their academics or they win a scholarship or whatever it might be, right? I got to go do all that stuff. I got to watch our son that same spring become a starting goalie at Marymount in lacrosse and win a state championship. I got to go to every single play, every single minute of every single game. I even went to a lot of practices and just sat up in my car in the parking lot and watched. The next year, or later that, that, that fall, I get to drive my daughter to college. I get to move her into college, none of which I would have been allowed to do if I'm announcing baseball games. Next spring, I get to watch our son again play lacrosse, get to the state Final Four, get beat in the semis last year. And now this year, right? Get to go to all of his graduation stuff. He's graduating next week, this coming weekend from high school, and all of his lacrosse stuff for however that lasts. The point I'm making in a very long-winded way is that I have actually asked myself the question. If I were given my old job back 
the last three years, would I have traded that job and that money, right? Unbelievable money. Traveling all over the country, announcing NFL games, announcing Major League Baseball games. Would I have traded everything that I got to do the last three years to have those jobs back and that money back? And the answer is not a chance. Zero chance in the world. I would have traded those times with my wife and kids for those two jobs. And I can promise you, for everybody out there, for the people who are watching the show, for the young men sitting in here, Casey and Paul and Jacob and Reed sitting out there, Trace is a dad, Sean's a dad, but for the guys that are not a dad, or the women that are not moms, there is nothing more important than having the opportunity to have those moments in your life. And, you know, you don't have to be a perfect dad. Lord knows I'm not. You don't have to be a perfect mom. There is no such thing. There's no perfect kid. But it's those moments that you wouldn't trade for anything in the world. Okay. Um, you wanted to get into what, Casey, the red legs? Is that what you were talking about? Um, <clears throat> well, I before we got to Ted, I was – Happy with what we saw, at least offensively, from our Red Legs. If they can just continue this momentum, I think we have a really good chance of winning this series. And, you know, I mean, the problem has really been the offense not producing enough. If you ask me. It's got to start there. Some of the guys that we expected to hit this ball really well have not been. Tyler Stevenson is one of those guys. If they can just continue to play the, what, the way they played yesterday, I know it's probably a tall task to do that. I don't know who was pitching for the Cardinals, if they were good or not, if that was their ace. I have no clue. No, it wasn't. It was, you know, we had Ricky Horton yesterday, and he made the comment that the guy, you know, outside of a pitch here or a pitch there, Montgomery, uh, has pitched better than his numbers would indicate. When I hear people talk about that, I, you know, hey, look, he watches him pitch every day. I say to myself, the numbers are the numbers. They are what they are. Right. If your ERA is six, you've earned a six. Now, not in, you know, 15 innings. You just throw that out the window. That's why a lot of times when relievers come into games, you know, in the first month, month, month and a half of the year, and you're giving out their ERA. I mean, if a guy has one bad outing and a third of an inning gives up four runs, it takes him three and a half weeks to start whittling down that earned run average because he doesn't accumulate enough innings to do it. Started a little bit different ballgame. Didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, you didn't. You didn't interrupt me. Uh, but I will. I was gonna say that not only just that. I'm. Um, people in the chat are also mentioning that Friedel might be coming back, which will really help with with this offense. And you know, I. I'm just hoping to see like that be the the turning point. That game specifically last night be the turning point for this Reds offense. I know it's against the Cardinals, and I know that's not usually typical for you to say something that you don't see consistently in baseball as the turning point. But I'd like to say when we get to whatever we said, was it July 14th or what? what did After we the all-star break. 
The first game after the All-Star break. Are we coming out of the All-Star break playing for anything? I would like to say that this series in particular, if they win this series, that this was a turning point for the offense at least. And um, I don't know if maybe we're getting some answers about the logjam. Um, Barrero has been center field now twice in a row, yep. three times in a row. So I don't know what that means for the long-term future, but I thought that was also very interesting to point out as Without well. Without a doubt. Glad you did. Yeah. Without a doubt. We talk about this on this show. Is that with all the middle infielders they've acquired, especially shortstops, they're going to have to find other positions for different guys. De La Cruz, right? Maybe. If McLean's your guy, I don't know if he is or he's not. But Barrero, I think it's too early to throw in the towel on Barrero. I really do. I mean, it was a year and a half ago. This guy put together a great offensive season. And he was one of your top, if not your very top prospect. And you mean after a you know, two, three hundred at-bats in the big leagues, you're going to throw in a towel on a guy? Well, the Reds clearly are not throwing the towel on the guy because they moved in positions. They think he's got a chance to play and play well. Right. You know, the shame of it for the Reds this year is, um, in, in many ways, is you're not playing a lot more divisional games than you are outside of the division. Because this division stinks. I mean, it stinks. I look at the Reds, and when they play, they haven't played the Brewers yet, but they play the Brewers. They play the Cardinals, first time last night. They play the Cubs, who they're getting ready to play starting uh, this weekend. They play the Pirates, right? I mean, does, does anybody look at a three-game series against those teams? Even with the Reds team they have right now, do you look at any of those series and say the Reds are going to get their tails kicked in this series? No. 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 They can beat anybody in this division with the team they have right now, in my opinion. But they've gone to this, you know, change of schedule for the umpteenth time again this year now, where a lot of people like this idea where you play everybody in baseball, right? Um, and you don't have as many divisional games. And I agree it got to be a little tired playing teams in your division 18, 19 times. But strangely enough, for this Reds team this year, they might wish that, that that schedule change didn't happen until next year. Yeah. So they got the Cubs coming up. Then they play the Red Sox. They're not any good. I mean, they're playing a little better lately. But then you got the Brewers. But then you start getting into, you know, the Brewers are good. They're not great. Dodgers, all kinds. And we're going to get into this. I got to get somebody from L.A. here. You know what's amazing about the Dodgers? And, you know, we talk so much about team payroll is, They've got starting pitchers dropping like flies. They're bringing up today and tomorrow their top two pitching prospects in the organization because they got three guys in the rotation that are down and out. Just put them on the injury list. May, they don't know how serious that is. It looks bad. Good Lord willing, it's not. And Urias, who, I mean, that, that, that guy can shut you out any night he takes a ball. And all of a sudden, they're bringing up all these young guys. And, you know, a lot of people tell you the young guys are better than the old guys. We'll find out. But this is a tough stretch for the Reds. I mean, they, they've got here 
where they've got Cardinals aren't great, Cubs aren't great, but they've got Boston, who's okay, Brewers, okay, Dodgers, good. We know that Cardinals again. So, you know, we'll see how this whole thing plays out. But there are just not a lot of great teams out there. There really aren't. And especially in this division. There's not a single great team in this division. We got Tracy Jones coming up uh, in a matter. Matter of fact, here he is. He's back to his Southern California cool look. How does that look go over in Bellevue? <laughs> this is considered dressed up, believe it or not, if, if I walk around in Bellevue. You know, I hope everybody knows, after I do this show, Tom, you remember when I dressed really nice for the show that one time? No, one time? I, I don't. I, it, was, it was one of our first shows. No, I don't remember. Said, I don't like I don't like that look. I like you more with your hat on backwards in your Southern California t-shirts that are mighty colorful. So that's the look that I, I'm going to go with. Now, if you also have sent me an email because the show is so successful that you want me dressed up. You said you want me in a shirt and tie. I could still wear a hat, but it would have to be a fedora. Yep. But I will absolutely not carry around a pimp stick. I think that's way too much. Well, you know, I got to tell you, you say fedora, but I have always pictured you. When, you know, when I've seen you from time to time, it's rare, but when I've seen you from time to time where you've been dressed up, I, I've noticed that you've mixed in occasionally and you look very good in a beret. <laughs> where do you get a beret? <laughs> where is that? And you know, you talk about old school and baseball. You remember when people dressed up to go to a ball game? Yeah. And they did wear a suit and a fedora. And the women wore a, a dress. Wasn't that cool back then? Yeah, when so you see cool. those old black and white pictures across yeah. the field and a bunch of other... Yeah, everybody... Yeah, yeah. their chains are in the stands. And I mean, they got it all going, right? <laughs> um, right? We were talking a little while ago, just a couple of minutes ago, Tracy, you know, about... about uh, they changed the Major League schedule this year. And, you know, forever... Uh, it used to be um, that you would play anywhere from 17 to 18 to 19 games inside your division. Now they've changed the schedule this year where you don't do that anymore. You still play more divisional games anywhere, but not that number. I'm not so sure that a lot of people who follow the Reds and even those who put on a Reds uniform uh, wish that they had delayed that for a year. Because when I look at the schedule, and I was just asking these guys this, the Ham and Eggers, um, there's not a team in this National League Central Division that I look at match up over a, a three-game series where I say Reds are overwhelmed in this series. I don't see it. Do you? It's a god-awful division. It really is. I mean, there's not one, and you mentioned it, I'm still in your thunder, is there's not a single good team, in my opinion. I mean, that's what the Reds could finish above 500 and finish in second place. I don't know if they have enough to finish in first place. But I think the, the uh, Brewers and the Pirates are tied, and they're only three games over 500. So what does that tell you? But the Reds got to do some – they got to make some adjustments. I don't know if you've been looking at that ERA for the starting pitching staff. It, it's – what is it? 4.68. That's 27th in all of baseball. Pitching's terrible. Terrible. Well, I mean, when you, when you pull out that number, and that's for the season, but – if you were to start really now breaking that ERA for the starters down by month, and they've only played not even two full months yet, nearly, because you started at the end of March. But, mm -hmm. I mean, 
you know, a guy like the guy pitching tonight, Ashcraft, you know, his ERA in April, March and April, was 2.1. He gave up seven earned runs in the first month. He's given up 19 earned runs so far here in three starts in May. So if you think that number is high, how high has it been in the month of May? It's insane. I mean, you bring up Hunter Green. Now, he had a good outing the other, yep. uh, the other day against the uh, Yankees, but he's close to an ERA of, of close to five. He yep. still hasn't won a ball game. No. I, I know he hasn't had much support, but this is your number one starter, and he hasn't won a game. So I think there's problems there. And how you solve that problem when that July, I think it's July 2nd, I could be off on the date, when you have the, the draft, the amateur draft, you got draft pitchers. You don't need any more position ball players. When you look at their top prospects, I mean, it's all position ball players and good position ball players. Some, I think, could be outstanding superstar potential. But you need to draft not best available, but pitchers. That That's what you need. Pitching, pitching, pitching. Write that down. All right, let me ask you this. Uh, because we've talked a lot about, and these are two different cases, I think. Well, I know, I know they are, but I, I and I want to, I don't want to lump them together because I think they're, they maybe an answer is different, maybe the answer is the same. I don't know, but let's start with two guys who are just having a terrible, a bad offensive year, okay, compared to expectations. You have a veteran player in Will Myers who's been around for a long time. Guys had a really nice major league career, been to a couple yeah, of yeah. All Star games. Yeah, yeah. He's been a good player for a long time. Yes, uh, with San Diego. Reds bring him in as a free agent. Uh, and then you have Tyler Stevenson. So let's, let, let's split these two up. I'm going to start with Stevenson. Um, when do you, Tracy Jones, start to get worried that here in the month of May, he's batting 100 and something. Uh, he has two doubles and two home runs and five runs batted in for the entire month. And he's playing virtually every single day. When does it go from a slump to, man, I'm a little worried about it. Well, uh, he got a hit last night. I think he was one for three. And he walked night. three times, which could be a good start, right? Good sign. Too. And that's a, that's a, wait a minute. Hold on. You said something. That's a great, great sign because that tells me not to get too much inside baseball, but that means he's seeing the ball. Remember, if you're seeing the ball, you're able to make the adjustment and get some knocks. So that's important to get the three walks. I, if I was David Bell, I would get with my hitting instructor and his assistant and his assistant to the hitting coach, who's the assistant. They've got to have four yeah. assistants. Yeah. And I'd say, hey, get that guy hitting again, okay? I don't care what you have to do if you have to watch film from last year because Stevenson's a good player. He's got, he's got to hit for that team. I mean, you're kind of building the franchise a little bit around a guy like that. Yeah. So you've got to get him hitting. And I think just hard work, getting out there, extra BP, I think he starts hitting. Will Myers, he's in his 30s, right? Yeah. That could be a little bit of a problem. It looks like he's kind of hit a wall. His bat looks a little slow to me. But he's had a good career. I'm not knocking the guy's career. But that's a little different than Stevenson. Those are, that's a total different scenario, a young player and a veteran player. Okay, but, but, but let me ask you this now. When you talk about, when you, talk about you know, you got to get this guy hitting in no, no, matter, no matter what it takes. Um, some people would make the argument and, and I, I, you know what, after being around the game for a long time, I think I'm in this camp 
where there's more batting practice and more film and more video watching and more all of that stuff than there has ever been in the history of this sport. Some people call it eyewash after a while. When does, <laughs> so when does a player just need a break from it all? What kind of break are we talking about? You talking about a couple of days? Or you no, talking no, no, no. I don't mean a break. I don't mean a break from giving him days out of the lineup. I mean, you just say to the guy, you know, Joe Madden was doing this even with his team entirely, right? He would say, "Look, I, I'm tired of people being at the ballpark at 12 o'clock. I'm tired of all this video watching. I'm tired of all this nonsense." Everybody get here at 5 o'clock. It's a 7 o'clock game. Be in uniform. I'll put out the lineup card. Go get them. You know when that happens? That happens on those Sunday day games. And it's surprising how many runs you seem to put up on a Sunday with no BP. No BP, no infield. You go out there, cold turkey. And some players like that, Tom, I wasn't that skilled. I can't believe I'm actually saying this. Wow. But I had to have. We a better lot. record that. Yeah. We better record that. Yeah. <laughs> Let me pull back the curtain, please. Uh, I had to get a lot of swings in before I went out there. I mean, I really did. I couldn't just go out. I couldn't do a Cal Daniels or an Eric Davis. I couldn't pull that or a Dave Parker. I had to get my BP in. But I was different. Do you think Stevenson's issues at the plate could possibly have anything to do with the fact? that for the first time, probably since he was in Little League, he knows he's not going to be at the same position every single day, a position he loves to play, and that's catcher. I think, again, a great point, because he's probably worried about playing first base because he's not familiar with that. I would... And I know Luke Maley's doing a nice job. He hit a home run the other day, and I like Luke. I've actually met him a couple times. Number one player coming out of high school, went at Covcath. Great kid. But Stevenson's got to catch every day. And, and I think that could just – he's got to shake it up. Here's what you do. If you're struggling, you shake up the situation. Do something different, even if it's wrong. And you're, would you not move him back to playing catcher every single day? Because that's where he's comfortable. That's where he's been his whole entire career. So I think that's a really good point. Though. Well, I mean, Tracy, I don't know. I mean, you tell me if you're the general manager or the manager. I mean, let, let's be honest about this thing. You can get into debates about whether or not, and they're in, here in the chat, there are people that are saying, look, Stevenson's a nice offensive player. His, his numbers in the minor leagues would illustrate that he's never a guy you build an offense around. He's not a dynamic, power-hitting, driving the ball gap-to-gap, gap, hitting balls into seats, knocking in 90, knocking in 100. He, he's not that kind. Maybe he'll become that guy, but he's not that guy. But, but knowing that you, know, you still feel like he's one of the better players on your team, I mean, the risk of injury for him being a catcher, everybody was saying a year ago when Votto's playing terrible, get Votto out of here, right? It's time for him to go. And it's time to just move Stevenson to first base full-time where he won't get so beat up. What would you do? I would probably move him back to catcher. I would talk to him. I'd ask, where do you want to play? Do you mind going to catch, you know, playing catcher for catching, you know, for three days and then going and playing first base? Well, DH you. Things like that. Here's something that we haven't talked about with Stevenson. Maybe 
pitchers have adjusted, and maybe he's having trouble adjusting. They're finding holes in his swings. I don't care who you are, unless you're Barry Bonds. We all have swings, places where we have trouble hitting the pitches. I had trouble with up high fastball. I couldn't catch up to it. So maybe he needs to make the adjustments to pitchers. I'd have to watch him for, for a week or two weeks, but I'd bring my best scouts and let them look at Stevenson. I mean, because there's guys that really know what the hell they are seeing. And I would have them make a judgment on Stevenson. What, what adjustments do you see? But I'm sure he, I, I, I think pitchers are pitching him tougher. They know where the holes are. And when you're hitting the hole, hitting the spots, it's tough to get those knocks. He's got to make adjustments. Okay, I, I got another kind of philosophical question for you here, okay? Um, we have talked regularly about how the Reds, and you've talked about their, in, their, their prospects in the minor leagues. Um, mm -hmm. Most of them are shortstops, at least of the ones that are going to make uh, the most immediate impact on the major league club, whether it's De La Cruz. Right. I know he's played a little third and short and that kind of And McLean was doing the same thing. And, you know, all the Encarnacion strand at third, and they move him over to first. Steer, they've already moved from third to first because Senzel's a better defensive third baseman. So there's all this stuff going on. Right. Eventually, if De La Cruz plays well at AAA, they've already brought McLean up to play shortstop. They have already played the last few games, Barrero a couple of times in center. If ultimately this year, and you hear the old adage about, boy, when you bring a guy up, you want him to succeed. And most of the time, that can mean any number of things, but most of the time, mm -hmm. that means you put them at a position they're very comfortable playing when they get to the big league. So they can just worry about doing that, right? Muscle memory and go swing the bat and play in the big leagues against the best in the world. Great point. Okay. If they bring, let's just play, let's just play theoretics here for a second, okay? If, if, if De La Cruz is brought up to play shortstop and you decide you want to move McLean to second base, how would that conversation go if you, Tracy Jones, were Jonathan India? And the whole world knows you're not a good defensive second baseman. But they come to you in July, maybe the first week of July, and they say, Jonathan, listen, would you consider starting to take fly balls in left field during batting practice and working out with the outfield instructor? Because we're bringing De La Cruz up here in three weeks, and we're thinking about playing him at short, McLean at second, and we think you'd be best served today and for the future as a left fielder. How would you feel about that? Yeah, I hate to be I hate to be hardcore on this, but I don't give a rat's ass about players' feelings. <laughs> You're in last place. You know, people aren't coming to the game. We gotta try to get really good players. And if we think that you we if the Reds think well I can't say wait because I played for the Reds. That's right. right? Once can. a red, always red. I could talk about the Giants, Tigers, but if I feel you're a better outfielder than you are a second baseman, then you're gonna move. Here's the main point in all this when you start switching players. The shortstop, first of all, that's the toughest position to play. So if you play shortstop, you'll have no problem playing second. You'll have no problem playing third, and you might move to center field. Dela Cruz, people tell me that Dela Cruz is too tall to play shortstop. 
He's six five, right? Is that how yep. tall he is? Six yep. foot five. I played against a I played against a guy that played every day, a guy by the name of Cal Ripken, and he was about six foot five. And he played shortstop for a few games, didn't he, Tom? He so did. I think that's a possibility. They say it's too hard on your body to be that tall and play shortstop. I, I don't I don't know about that. But they've got a lot of good players. They got a lot of guys that play shortstop that they're gonna move it around. But next year, or even at the end of this year, you got to find out those positions and stay with them. I don't like players moving from one position. Now they're going to move to another position, move to another position. This is not not whole baseball. This is the major leagues. You know, players didn't even move around when I played in the outfield. If you were a right fielder, you were a right fielder, a center fielder, a left fielder. So you didn't move around. So they need to make that decision and keep those guys in the spots. See, here, here's the thing, and, and, and I have been highly critical of a, a lot of major league teams because I don't think that baseball, although they're coming around, uh, I, I don't think that baseball thinks like basketball people do or football people do, where they think outside the box a little bit here. But, but, but here's the quandary. The teams that are in the Reds' position that they face – you and I both know two of the biggest mistakes you can make in evaluating players. Spring training and the right. month of September. Right? Yep. Okay. For sure. All right. right. Well, if that's a given, and now your job as the general manager of the Reds, Nick Crawl in this case, if your job is to start to figure out Who's going to be where looking ahead to 2024? Two things have to happen. One, you got to get guys to the major leagues and see how they do before we yep. hit September, right? You and can't then handle the pressure. Ways, right. And then you got to find out where is our team best served for players at what position? So it's not only one thing to bring up guys from the minor leagues, but let's use the, the example of, uh, of Steer versus Encarnacion Strand. And let's just look at that dynamic <laughs> for this next three or four months. You know where I'm going with this, right? Yeah. You, you know where yeah. I'm going with this, okay? You've got this, yeah. the, 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 the sentimental thing about Vado kind of lingering on the outside there, right? I mean, look, you yeah. can say it doesn't mean anything. It means something. He's out there. It's his last four months as a player in the big leagues wearing a red uniform. If he's healthy enough to play, there are going to be a lot of dates he's in that lineup. Steer, oh, for sure. already moved from third to first because he's a better defender at first than he is at third, although not bad. He was getting better at third. And Carnacion Strand, across the board, everybody feels like first baseman, no doubt about it. How are you going to determine who is your first baseman? And, and oh, by the way, Tyler Stevenson plays a little bit of first base. How are you right. going to just navigate that position with those four people over the next three months of this season? How would you do it? Man, that, that's a tough position, but it's a good position to be in, isn't it? Yes, it is. I think you make the really good point. You make the really good point. You got to bring him up first, right? You've got Marte. That's a pretty good player. Yep. Say, that's the shortstop, right? Well, they third say baseman, he's I the think. best shortstop. They, they, they I, might say that Arroyo 
who's 20 years old, he's the best shortstop. Right. He's like the, their third prospect. So there's a lot of questions there. But I think that's why you have good scouts. That's why you have good coaching. And I think it'll play out. It's not like those guys won't play. They'll just play a different position. But it's a good position to be in. Here's another thing that you could do. Remember, you could always make a trade. You know, if you can go out and trade one of those young guys, you got to be real careful with this. And get yourself a number one, not a number two. My whole thing as a general manager would be accumulate number one pitchers like Hunter Green or like, I think, Lodolo. That's what you need to do. I could trade a position ball player for a pitcher. That's a pretty good trade. So there's a lot of options for the Reds. They haven't had those options in a long, long time. Tom, you've covered the team for how long? I did extra innings for, you know, 20 years. I've never seen a minor league system like the Reds have. They've made some great trades. And it's not, this isn't like Jim Bowden blowing smoke and saying, oh, this guy's great, when he's the only one that thinks they're great. Other people in baseball think these players are really good. When you have seven players in the top 100 in all of minor league baseball, I think it's seven, that's saying a lot. But they're all position players except for Logan, the left-handed pitcher. Tracy, I have shared with you and I have shared with everybody that watches this program regularly. And I'm not being the old guy sitting on his porch saying, get off my lawn. That's not the case here. Okay, <laughs> I'm all about the glass half full in life. All right. I mean, you got to be. But yeah. dude, I, how many times have I told you? I never, I have never, I will never buy the hype what they do in the minor leagues. I don't buy it. I'm not saying they won't be great and hit on all these guys, but I'm not buying it. I'll buy but, it when I watch them in the big leagues. I'll buy it. But not at the minor leagues. But you're right about as far him. as potential and, and players that other people believe are going to be big, good major league players. I'll, I'll give you that. They have that. Right, and this is what makes me, Tracy Jones, special. Because one, I played the game. One, or two, I see things that you people don't say. Yeah, Tom, I've looked at video. I've looked at video. I know when a guy has a quick bat. I know when a guy just has that skill set. Believe me, I had it. So that's how I'm judging it. Okay. And I'm telling you, those guys, when I see Dela Cruz hit a ball 465 feet the other night, I'm going... I think it's really good, really good. And to sign for sixty-five thousand, who in the hell? What scout signed him for sixty-five thousand dollars? I mean, I got to bring that guy up because obviously he knows talent. Dude, with all due respect, Stevie Wonder could have saw, seen that that Ailey Dela Cruz has talent. Well, I why, mean, come on, Barrero, come on. I mean, come on. Hold on, hold on. Barrero gets what five million dollars to sign out of Cuba. And you get Dela Cruz for $65,000? That's a steal, Tom. Well, I agree, but you and I both know that there's this, there's this mystique built, in, built around the Cuban player that's unlike anybody else in the Caribbean or, or Latin America. You know that. Come on. Mm -hmm. There's a mystique about the I think the Dela Cuban Cruz player. is going to be a star. Yeah. I, I think look, he's going to be a star. The guy, I hope the guy is a star. I hope he is. I hope all of them are. I would never root for a young person, man, woman, combination of the two. I'd never root for, against any of them. I wouldn't root against that any of them. That was the funniest. 
That's the funniest thing you've said in 11 months, and you better watch your tongue. You know, you got in trouble before. I'm not saying anything, but I'm saying I root for everybody. I'm all in. You're, I'm all in. I'm all about the binary, too. It I'm must all have, about that. Hey, God bless you. Whatever floats your boat. Absolutely. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Um, okay, last thing before we go. Um, we are now T-minus 10 days and counting away from your good friend and mine, Casey McAllister, from becoming a married man, Tracer. He's got, for all intents and purposes, oh. he's got about he's got about eight days because he's got to have it together by Thursday of next week. Here we are Tuesday. A any words of advice? Yes, yes. I always come with advice. We should actually actually do a segment. What Tracy says. Here's what I'm going to say, Casey. It's not too late. It's not too late to back out of this thing. And it's not, it's not a reflection of your fiance. I'm sure she's a nice girl. Here's what Tracy Jones wants you to do. Are you listening, Ham and Egger? I'm listening. Both Ham and ears. Okay. And Paul, I want you to do the same thing with your fiance. I want you to go to the courthouse, okay? Uh, domestic relations, that part of the courthouse. I want you to sit in the hallway for two hours, bring some popcorn, enjoy the show. And I want you to see couples come in uh, with their lawyer, probably cost them $350 an hour. Uh, some couples, the man, the woman, one's crying, one's mad. Yep. And I want you both to sit down. One tried to stab, one, one, one tried to stab oh. the other one. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's it's unbelievably bad. It's so depressing. But I want you guys to sit there and watch this. Now, if you can stay and watch that for four hours or for two hours and you still feel like getting married, then you get married. You know but what's you funny, Tracy? Think... Tracy, a couple, no, years ago, a, a couple of years ago, I had to go down to the courthouse. I think I was picking somebody up or something, but it was the, it was the marriage license room. I had to sit outside on a bench waiting on somebody for like, two hours so this is exactly what you're kind of exactly what you're talking about yeah. and i just for two hours i was sitting there on my phone waiting on whoever i was waiting on they told me to come down and it was too early so i just i was like i'll just be early rather than be late and it turns out i was yeah. like two hours early and i just watched two hours worth of couples going in to get their marriage licenses and i looked over at uh the secretary that was sitting there at one point and i said man you see a whole cast of characters coming in she goes yeah, try doing this for eight hours a day, every day, all day. <laughs> I was like, this would have been two hours of pure entertainment. You know, I'm actually getting uh, my marriage license today. We're you, doing that today. Me and Alex, after the show, are going to go down to one of the offices in Kentucky and get it done. So, Okay, but I've got to tell you guys, let me stop you right there. This is the biggest decision you'll ever make in your life. It's not your job. It's not the money. This is your biggest decision that you'll make. Yeah. So you really have to make the right decision. The problem with marriage, they make it real easy to get married and they make it real difficult to get a divorce. And that's the problem with marriage. I, and this is not a knock on the girls because I'm sure they're sweet girls. It, it just, just make sure they're the right person. That's all I'm saying. 
And you guys feel very good about that. I think we feel pretty good about it. What do you think? Bob? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So did I. <laughs> <laughs> My dad did three times. Well, and I always tell people, I used to tell people on the radio, if you're married one time, I, my advice would be to get divorced because you'll be happier the second time. I'm really happy now, and I can't wait for my third marriage. I think I probably got another six months in this marriage, and I'm very excited to see who number three is. Very excited. Cannot wait. Hey, maybe you'll meet her at my wedding. All right, Tracer, uh, great to see you, my man. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see you on Thursday. All right, I'll see you, boys. All right, Have Tracy a good day. Jones. Oh, YouTube. That's 30 minutes of television twice a week. And Sir Boy Wonder, relax. I wasn't taking the conversation off a cliff or being toxic about everything. We said we're rooting for everyone to do well. This is an all-inclusive show. We're all good here. We're all good. All right, so lighten up a little. What's the deal with Sir Boy lately? Little, little, little no. I don't know what. A little on edge? I can tell you, he, he's, got, he's got some work to do if he wants to even think about being in the chat rankings this week. You know what I think it I is? I mean, he's got a lot of work to do. It's because his favorite team is the Reds, and, and they're, they're struggling a little bit, and, and he's on edge now. It, it affects him, Tom. Every... Every win and every loss, it puts a, it, get, it it affects him, right? And right now, the twenty and twenty-seven, the balance is in, in the in the the negative side. So, he's, dude, they were in the negative side when I saw him at your bachelor party, and he was in a great mood. Oh well, yeah, it doesn't he was fantastic. Him. It doesn't affect him twenty-four-seven, but when when we start talking about the Reds, it gets him gets him a little heated. Gets him a little heated. <laughs> Almighty. Oh, boy. <laughs> Was somebody talking about Ohio State when I wasn't around yesterday? Oh, oh yeah. I, I did my Ohio State rant for like 10 minutes. But I, I thought this was like an established thing. So I was playing heel on Ohio State for like 10 minutes. Sir Boy Wonder didn't like that. But he, I thought like we he, knew that. He admitted on air yesterday that he does not like Ohio State we, whatsoever. We've done that, though. We've been, we've done that train. I've said it forever. Football. I like Chris Holtman. And my girlfriend, oh, fiance. I got to get used to that. Yeah, you do. I got to get bit. used to that. No, a She's a, her family's a massive Ohio State fans. So I, I got to sometimes temper. Yeah, you better be there. very careful on that one. Sometimes I got to temper. I know buddies of mine who weren't Ohio State guys and they married into Ohio State families. Yeah. yeah you better watch out. I know. Trust well, me. Tom, he, I'm always the odd one out at the No, at no, the never it says, rings. tell Tom why. Before we get out of here, it's time to get out of here. But tell Tom why you went off on Ohio State in a nutshell. Why? Oh, basically because we have to hear about how they win. They win all the time. They, they don't. They don't win all the time in They what? haven't won a national – they've won two national championships in the last 50 years. He's talking about football. I'm talking about football. Football. Well, look, I mean, there are a lot of good teams out there. I mean, <laughs> yes, hell, look, you. I mean, it ain't easy to do. No, it's not. It's I not. I mean, you know, I mean, it's come on. It's just living in the state. I'm coming from out of state. It's a little different. It's a little different. I'm coming from Virginia where I still had to hear about it all the time. It's a little different. Okay. He, he, he got a little passionate about it. It was fun. We had some fun. <laughs> I hope people know it was fun. 
he was he was tired of everyone saying that they're good. They're good. Well, you get a lot of that in football, and you get a lot of it in their all-around sports department because you you do have to give it up to them. Now, I mean, in, yeah. in every sport there is, by and large, Holtman notwithstanding, lately. Holtman. By and large, I mean, they are really good in just about everything. Holtman's got to get it together this year. No doubt about it. I like no, him. I do too, but I there's like no doubt lot, about but... it. Now, he's been hurt with some guys leaving early during his tenure there. But, yeah, they, they got to get it together this year. All right, we're out of time. Do we have a cherry on top or no? No. Okay, no, I, all right. I was just going to say thank you to the chat. We uh, definitely reached our light goal. We we don't nearly puppet as enough as enough of th than we should. We should probably puppet a lot more. Um, but thank you, chat. Fifty three likes today. Appreciate it. Oh, wait, does FC Cincinnati play in that open thing again tonight? Is that tonight? Well, that's what uh, your father in law just said. Is it tonight? Oh man, it is tonight. I thought it was on Wednesday, but it's in New York. It's not here. Look, we're, we wish him good luck. <laughs> I do. I wish him good luck. I mean, all this is just beyond my... Uh, a simple mind, a common man yeah. with a common palate. You know, I'm good eating anything, anywhere. I'm all right. You know, don't get all worked up about it on certain things. But, but, but this thing is just... You need to watch it with soccer fans and have an open mind. And then I think you'll, you'll have a totally different perspective. It has nothing to do with the sport. Of soccer, no, the game I, of soccer, right, it has to do with all of these whatever they are inside of a regular season. I mean, it's like, come on! And maybe my mind is too small to pay attention to more than one thing at a time. But can't we just focus on playing the MLS season, even with our month break? Can't we just focus on the season? And then get to the playoffs and get to a championship. Is that too much? To, well, apparently it is. Well, they're like because a we have to mix in the Lamar Hunt Open Cup. Well, MLS is like a minor Inside league. Inside of our season. MLS is like a minor league. Just think of it like that. You want to go watch the teams that really care about their season, go watch EPL. I mean, they're the same way, though. They, they, have, they, 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 they do the same thing. They do the same thing. Okay. All right. All right. Well, all right. We, we move on. All right. Gentlemen, Paul, I'm glad. Uh, Paul, thank you for picking Casey up today. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I yeah, I should it. have asked Tracy about that. I'm going to save this until Thursday. Casey had no car keys today. He's the man of the house. It's his house, which he and his bride-to-be just bought. But guess what? There's two sets of keys. And guess who doesn't have one of the two? The guy who drives the car. <laughs> I got a distress call from Casey. Paul, have you left yet? I was walking out the door. Paul, can you come pick me up? I don't have my keys. Yeah, sure. I got you. No worries. We had a nice little, nice little commute to work today, Casey and I. Yes, we did. He got to see my house. I did. At least the outside of it for the first time. I did. Uh, USA veteran, retired, we salute you, salute all of you for joining us today. Gentlemen, nice job. Jacob, good to have you back. We're going to talk about the PGA with Jacob for a few minutes tomorrow. Want to do, do it. that today. 
He just got back from the uh, PGA Championship. <laughs> How cool was that? Yeah. All right. So we'll talk about that tomorrow. Uh, we're waiting to hear about Scott Bo- from Scott Boris about tomorrow. I'm hoping he's going to be our guest tomorrow. We'll see. If not, we'll make something up. Maybe we'll talk about the strategy of playing an MLS season while at the same time playing an open Lamar Hunt open cup season inside of the season. All right, everybody. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow.